Before we dive in, um, I, I wonder, did any of you bring your Bible? Oh, a couple of you did. Okay, great, great. If you brought your Bible, um, you have a homework assignment. Um, I'm going to need your help. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you have a cell phone, you can just go to BibleGateway.com too. So um, I need someone um, to read John 13, 34. If you have a Bible, just raise your hand. Okay, right there, John 13, 34. Oh, we start with the British accent. I love it. All right, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. You, don't, you, you just have to raise your hand. You don't have to find it right now. Okay, right there. Thank you very much. Galatians 5, 13. Not 5.11, that's about circumcision. 5.13, okay, right there. Thank you. James 5.16, we're going to do that twice. James 5.16, twice. All right, oh, my man who got baptized here. I love you. Good win for Notre Dame yesterday. You're a Notre Dame fan. Ephesians 4.32, Ephesians right there. Thank you very much. Galatians 6.2, some of you are like, man, this guy likes the word. I do, right there. Thanks, Ruth. Uh, Romans 12.16, you want to know? Oh, yeah, back there, back there. Thank you, Karen. Uh, Romans 12.10. Oh, right there. Thank you, Todd. James 5.16, the second one. We'll do it again. Oh, actually, if you raise your hand for James 5.16, you get that twice. You're going to read that one twice. Colossians 3.13. That's an NFL passage. You'll like that in a second. And then Philippians 2.3. 2.3. Last one. Last one. Going once. Going twice. Sold to Patty. Well done. You're awesome. You didn't even raise your hand. I just called you out. Okay. Awesome. Uh, for the rest of you, if you don't have a Bible, turn with me uh, to Deuteronomy chapter 30. If you don't have a Bible, there's a one verse that will be up on the screen in a minute. But if you do have a Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 30. It's the fifth book of the Bible. It is part of the Torah. known as the way, the truth, the life. You walk in the steps and in the truth of the Torah. It was going to help you walk in harmony with God. This was what... Many, many Jewish leaders believed it is the story of a people who are freed from slavery, that are moving towards a promised land. They have been wandering in the desert. And the book that we know as the book of Numbers, actually what it's called in Hebrew is in the desert, in the desert, in the desert. And in the desert, they began to make their way closer and closer and closer to this promised land. And then Moses this leader, this epic leader. He's about to lead them into the promised land and man, oh man, oh man, he messes up. And some of us, we mess up. But he can't enter into the promised land. So he gives some instructions to the people. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, and the whole kind of book of Deuteronomy can be all about a reminder to remember, to remember God's faithfulness, to remember these commands, to remember, to remember, to remember. And so many of us are just good at remembering the things we ought to forget and forgetting the things we ought to remember. And this whole book is about to remember the right, the good, the stuff that really matters. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 30, you see this articulation some of Moses' last words, he sells them now. Verse 11, what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word, the way, the truth, the life, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth. 
and in your heart so you may obey it. I love this. Because what Moses is saying is like, hey, wherever you go, there's something within you. You know this. You sense this. You feel this. There's, there's nothing that we ever have to sit with someone, even if they're close to God or far from God. When they saw two planes crashing into the Twin Towers, every human being looked at that and was like, it's awful. It's horrific. Nobody, nobody had to tell them that. They just knew that. Because we know deep within us there is something so beautiful and we understand when we turn on the news what brokenness looks like. We understand what justice and goodness looks like and shalom and righteousness. And we also know what tragedy and trauma and brokenness looks like. You don't have to climb some mountain. You don't have to cross some sea. You don't have to chase some person. It's like it's here within us, our very mouth. Our very being. It's just, can we slow it down to understand and hear it? It continues on. If you skip down to one of my favorite passages, it says this in verse 17. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you certainly will be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. He's like, hey, if you, if you neglect this, you're going to miss out on all the gifts that I have. And then in verse 19, it says this, and it's, it's such wedding language. This day I call heaven and the earth as witnesses against you. Every marriage that I've ever performed that officiated, I have to kind of lead out on this, this wedding certificate. And a lot of times the, the couple's so excited, they either forget to get the certificate or forget to have me sign it or don't tell the, the best man or, 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 or bridesmaid to sign it. I got to chase them down and sometimes I got to take it from them and send it because they're, they're all thinking about honeymoon and stuff. But this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose life. So that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land. He swore to give to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I love this. Today I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you. And I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. And now it's up to you. May you three words now choose life. And the word choose in Hebrew is the word bahar. Let me hear you say bahar. Bahar. And bahar literally means this. What you choose, you boldly proclaim is the best possible way to live. And every single day, sociologists, anthropologists will tell us that we make somewhere between 30 and 35,000 choices a day. In Mike Bro language, he talks about the same old. Many of us, we're just on autopilot making the same old. You get up at 6.13 a.m., same old first choice, hit snooze, seven more minutes, 6.20, you wake up, you decide, do I brush my teeth? That's a choice. Do I decide to take a shower? Nope, you go down. You have already preset the coffee. You get your favorite mug. There's another choice. You put that cup there. You pour. That's another choice. You have a drink. That's another choice. And you just keep walking through the same old, same old, same old, same old choices. And many of us are not listening to the voice that's within us. And if we're going to experience the power of this promised land, the question becomes, 
What kind of life are we choosing to live? Is it a life in dependence? Is it a life that is walking so near and dear to the heart of God? I love this idea of, of choice, though, because I think sometimes we forget that every single day we have these choices. And there's sometimes the choices that we make, we don't even understand what we're doing, what we're saying, what we're making. I mean, think about this. In the 1700s, there was a man by the name of Zans Ingsenhaus, real person, you can Google it if you don't trust me. Zans Ingsenhaus was a Dutch scientist. He realized something. If I bring a plant or tree inside, the thing dies. Before that, they thought if there was just good soil and adequate water, a tree or plant would live. And what he began to discover is that there's more going on than we actually understand. I love history, I love science, I love it because I believe it actually points to God. And what's amazing is what he discovered is photosynthesis. Now, some of you, you're like, are you kidding me? I woke up early to come to church to learn about 10th grade biology. Yes, because it's godly. Hear this. Photosynthesis literally means from the light. From the light. And the truth of photosynthesis is this, is that every single day, when you inhale, what do you breathe in? Oxygen. Thank you. Thank you, Kansas City. Thank you. You can put your number two pencil down. Now, when you exhale, what do you give off? Carbon dioxide. There we go. Now, here's the truth. Every single day, you're breathing. And you breathe. And what's amazing is the photosynthesis does this. Is that light is this energy. All right, so you got this light, and the sun is this energy, and these leaves, they capture this energy. So you got a sun, gives off light, the light is an energy, the leaves capture that energy. Now, here's the crazy piece. Is your carbon dioxide, the exhale, what you give off without even thinking about it, the leaves capture that. And what it does is it separates the carbon and the oxygen, and it has this moment, and it adds with some water, and it creates a sugary substance called glucose that feeds the plant. Now, every single day, if I, if I pressed you, man, what's your goal for the day? None of you say, you know what I want to do? I want to make leaves so fresh and so green, green. None of, you, none of you were walking by your plants and your trees and you just walked up to a leaf and you're like, ah, there you go, buddy. Just stay green. Don't fall from the tree. Like, you, no, nobody does this. But do you understand that you were created without even knowing it to give life? Without even knowing it. You just, you just go through your day sinning. And at the same time you're sinning, you're giving life to nature. Like, you're hardwired to actually be someone who not just chooses life, but gives life. Let's take it even farther. Some of you have heard me talk on this before. This comes from the seminal work by Rabbi Lawrence Kushner, an amazing rabbi. He wrote this book, God Was in This Place, and I did not know. It's fascinating. But he talks about the word Yahweh, Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey. And in Hebrew, there are no vowels. And what's amazing is we've added the vowels to try and create sound. But Yod, Hey, Vav, and Hey are make up the name Yahweh. And Yod, Hey, and Vav are actually silent. 
They have no eh, beh, kh. There's no grammatic, phonetic sound to them. And the rabbis, for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, were like, why would God give himself a name that's made up of letters that have no actual sound? And Lawrence Kushner began to find out that many, many rabbis started to say, oh, because it's the sound of breathing. That every time we breathe, we're not just giving life to nature, we're actually saying the names of the holy, holy God. And you could be saying there's no such thing as God, and yet you're breathing his name every single day. Here's the crazy thing, here's the crazy thing. We, 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 yeah. And, and the thing is, like, we, we just do this every single day and we don't even know it, that we were hardwired to choose life, to give life, to worship and praise. Giving life to nature, singing out to God, giving life to God. Even if we don't do it with our actual life, God's like, yeah, but I hardwired you with every breath. You give life. And, and then here's the crazy piece. Because the question we have to ask ourselves is, did God just want to create us to not actually be partners with him? Or did he create us to actively, with our everyday decisions, to know that voice, to know that heart, to know that life? So that we could actually, with our words and with our time and with our talents and with our treasures and with our past and with our stories and with every part of what God has entrusted to us, not just give life to nature, but give life to everyone always. And not just to give life and worship with our breath, but to give worship with every sound and every act of our life. And that's what I want to talk about today. Because I think there's something about how many of us, including myself, can go through seasons where my hands are in my pocket, just kind of like checking things out, watching how other people do it, get a little bit like frustrated over here, I don't like how it's being done, and I just, just kind of act out, kind of do my thing. And I miss the invitation to choose life. It's amazing as you get to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a weeping prophet. <laughs> Jeremiah, that, this, this poor guy, man. He, prophets are tough, man, because they're so out in front, and, and, and they're just saying things that nobody wants to hear. And they usually don't have friends. And they feel very, very isolated and alone. And it really wrecked and messed with Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5, it says, This is what the Lord says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. It's easy to do that, right? Like, man, I really like that person. Man, I feel like, man, just being at that person's table, I feel better about myself. Oh, man, if I could just follow that, I could just experience that, if I could just be there. Man, and all of a sudden, Jeremiah is saying, Be careful. Be careful. Don't find your identity in a king. Don't find your identity in some dictator. Don't find your identity in some power. Don't find your identity in some monarchy. Don't find your identity in anything but God. But verse 6 is this. That person who trusted man will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert and a salt land where no one lives. You will be forced to live in Arizona. 
which is good in February here, but it's not good in, in, in July. But look what it says this. Look at this, verse 7. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. It's, it's like Jeremiah's retelling of Psalm 1. He's just saying, man, like, there are people who are going to put their trust in man, and it's going to lead them to the hot, hot, parched places of the desert. And then there's going to be people who have this trust that's in the Lord. Their confidence is in him. So no circumstance or situation will dictate how they believe God sees them or feels about them or how they choose to live in the midst of crisis and trauma and difficulty. And he says, even then, it'll be like they have this fresh water. Their roots are going to go out. Their leaves will always be green. It's like their elementary understanding of chlorophyll. Sounds more like Borophil, if you like Adam Sandler. But there's this moment where you sit there and you're like, in every season, their leaves will stay green and they'll still bear fruit. I want to be that kind of person. I want to be the kind of person that in the midst of the darkest and hardest times, like you've done the work to still bear fruit. You don't choose unhealthy escapes. You just continue to choose the life that's going to actually allow you to not just breathe his name, but to, man, let something just happen through you. It's amazing. How, how does that happen, though? How, how, does that, how do you become that kind of person? Look what Jesus says. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 16. I don't know it by heart, but it will be up on the screen. Then Jesus said to his Talmudim, his apprentices, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. The juxtaposition here. See, sometimes when we talk about choose life, as much as I love this concept of choosing life, sometimes it's like, you just do you. Whatever, whatever makes you happy. You do you. But Jesus actually takes this idea and takes it farther and says, well, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And whoever wants to save their life, protect themselves, well, they're going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. There's something that Jesus says when you actually choose life, you're choosing him. But choosing him is actually going to be about denying your agenda. And that does not preach in our day. That's a hard thing. Because I want to be right. And I want to help. And I want to win. Or I want to be like so individualistic and I want to just do my thing. Or I want to like research something so that I have control over it. Or I want to just be so loyal and so loyal and I want people to know that I make people happy. Or you know what, I don't actually want to deal with the difficulty. I just want to live and go and have a good time and just, just not be sober of stimulation. Just be able to escape. Or you know what, I want to challenge. Or I just want to be a peacemaker. And I just basically walk through all nine types of the Enneagram. Because truth be told, we all have this. 
And the invitation of the Spirit of God is, what is actually within me that's getting in the way and preventing me from picking up this cross and dying to myself so that I can actually experience the fullness of life? Which brings me back to science. And I love trees. Jeremiah talked about trees. Zan Zingzenhaus discovered photosynthesis. But my favorite tree, my favorite tree, my favorite tree are redwoods. There is nothing better to me than being in Santa Cruz, California. You've got the beach, and then you drive a mile, and you are up at the redwoods. And I love the redwoods. And I'll tell you about the redwoods, man. They're the biggest trees, tallest trees, most amazing trees. And a number of years ago, I did this teaching, just this section and this, this really became influential for why we called this church Forest City. Because of the truth of these trees. And what's amazing about redwood trees is these redwoods, man, they, they, they have something within their bark that is in our fire, fire extinguishers. They're fire resistant. They have a savings account of water where they hold on to water so when drought comes, they're fine. They have the best wood. And most people who do construction, they'll tell you, man, it's just so, so good. They constantly are chasing the light. They grow 10 feet each year, up to 300 some feet. But you know what's interesting about redwoods? They can't grow by themselves. Actually, they tried this in, in Europe, in England. And England did a whole study where they just planted one redwood, and the redwood, when the winds came, just fell over. And they began to realize that, oh, redwoods actually need other redwoods. And what they found is these massive trees, that their roots actually only go down 9 to 10 feet. But then they go out 100 feet, and they look to other redwoods, and they literally interlock with them. And you take this even farther, and now I'm going to sound like I spent way too much time in Sedona, Arizona. But here's the truth. Redwoods actually talk to each other. When one redwood gets sick, it calls out a sign, and because they're so interlocked and connected to each other, then the other redwoods stop growing, and they send nutrients to help the other. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when you see this, it's unbelievable. Which takes you to the New Testament, because the whole idea of choosing life wasn't you do you, whatever you want to do. Because if you think about the gospel, the gospel was Jesus being willing to die for him, die so that we could live. And the idea is that when we pick up the cross, we're actually saying, man, I'm going to find more life in Christ. But the life that I find in Christ is always going to be about another. And this word in the New Testament that you'll see again and again and again and again is the word alelon. Alelon. It's used almost 100 times in the New Testament. And this is where we get the idea of one another or each other. Andy Stanley says this, that the primary purpose of the local church is one anothering one another. So here's the question. How are we for a city at one anothering one another? Because this, this, is, this is what the people are wanting to see. For many of us who were resistant of a church, it was because we had seen people not one another one another, but crush one another. Hurt one another. Bash one another. Hate one another. Judge one another. 
But you go through the New Testament, and the New Testament is so, so uber clear about what we are called to do. So I'm going to go back to the verses, and we're going to read some of these one another verses. So Jan, can I start with you? Can you say it loud from John 13, 34? Love each other. And let's just say she should read and do announcements forever. The Lord speaks to the Brits. Love one another. This, this is it. I'm giving you a new commandment. Our job is to love one another. No, but I want to be right. I want to love one another. Let's go to the next one. First Thessalonians 5.11. encourage one another. Again, you know what encourages? It's when you see the imago Dei in another person, you speak it out. They don't see it, but when you see it and you say it, it gives them courage, and then you begin to build it up and build it out in another. Let's go to the next one, Galatians 5.13. Oh, yes. So you were called to choose life and to be free, but sometimes we use that freedom to do whatever we want. But the goal, like I said earlier, is that we would serve one another, serve one another. Continues on, James 5.16. Yes, yes, that we are called to pray, to pray for one another. Like that, that for me is like how often when we actually understand that we are so connected, that we are actually better together and we are actually praying for one another, what that does continues in Ephesians 4.32. Whoever has, you got it? Okay, over here. Yes. Oh, be kind and compassionate to one another. And that's coming from two Iowa Hawkeye fans. Be kind and compassionate to one another, right? My job is to be kind. It's been a tough year. But to be compassionate. You know what compassion means? It's the plural word for the word womb in Hebrew. And what it means is that we actually care for what God has birthed into this world. That's what compassion is. Continues on. This is this, Galatians 6.2. Galatians 6.2. Yes, to carry one another's burdens, to carry. Man, that's, that's, that's something. And when we actually know each other so well, you think about those redwood trees, man, they're just learning and choosing to carry one another's burdens. And part of this is like, we have to ask ourselves, whose burdens are we carrying? This is, this is, this is the part of what family looks like. Continues on, Romans 12, 16. Yes, to live in harmony with one another. But there's this like, this beat, this way in which, this rhythm at which we actually get to join with God and what he wants to do is that we're to live in harmony with one another. And that's really, really hard. And many of us are stepping into family seasons and dynamics where like Thanksgiving dinner, it actually creates a level of tension. But the idea is, man, how do we as a church continue to work to live in harmony with one another? Romans 12, 10. 
devoted to one another. Honor one another. And that, that is just rich, like devoted. I realize I'm a really good, cheap first there for a second, but then how consistent in that devotion. Honoring. And just thinking of people above you, honoring. James 5.16, we'll read this one again. Yes. If you think about this one, is confess your sins to one another. When's the last time you've confessed your sins to another? And, and you know often, police officers, you've probably heard me say this before, therapists, lawyers, pastors, your spouse will tell you that most, most times we only confess to what the other person already knows to be true. And that's not confession. We call it confession, or owning up to something, but that's not confession. Confession is when you share something that someone else doesn't know. You go farther. To be that kind of church, to be like, man, I, I, I blew it here. A couple more, then we're done. Colossians 3.13. Ooh, that's good. That's good. It's good to forgive one another. To forgive one another. And I said this was the NFL passage because it tells you which team you're supposed to root for. Bear with each other and forgive one another. How well are you at forgiving? Again, if we're going to be family, we're going to do this, we're going to choose life. The deeper we go with Jesus, the more that's going to lead us to one anothering one another. That's hard. Last one, Philippians, and then do a prop, and then we're done. Philippians, Philippians, Philippians. Who had that? Oh, it's okay. Uh, let's see, two, three, I bet. Awesome. Value others above yourselves. These are just a few of them. There's so many in there. But here's what I realized. What I realized is how much I love the idea of this, but how terrible I am actually at it. Because really, just like in Jeremiah, this whole thing is about trust. I was sitting down with a new friend uh, recently, and she said something to me. And you know, like when you have a conversation and you sit down with that person and, and they say something and, and it, and it kind of hits you and you're like, ooh, that, that was a little too close to home. And she said to me, she said, Steve, you're going to have to risk being hurt again. And I said, you're going to have to risk being hurt again. <laughs> I just, it, it, like, I, I, I heard it, but, you know, I, it's like I, I heard it, but did I really hear it? And, and so then I... I wrote it down in my journal and the drive home and I just kept coming back to that. Because all the one anothering one another is about really one word. Yes, Jesus, but Jesus plus trust. I went downstairs to our basement and I saw my daughter, Mercy. And Mercy and her friend, Jack, were playing Legos. And what I realized is every single day, 
We're playing Legos. Uh, what's your name? Louise. I'm Steve. Nice to meet you. All right, so here's, here's, here's how this thing works, all right? So, Louise, do you mind standing up for a second? Have we ever met before? Once. Once? Awesome. Um, and, but we don't, we don't know each other, right? So, here's the truth. I don't know how many Lego pieces of trust you have for me. I, I don't know you very much. I know you're sitting in the front row. I like that. So that just added three more chips for you. No, but, but right? But every single day, what we have is this sense of, of pieces. And so sometimes what it looks like is, all right, I'm going to start here and be like, what's your name? You know, and, and if you want to take a piece, you don't have to. You, oh, you took a big one. That's cool. Um, and you go there. And then, and then I, I get to know you a little bit more. And I, I start to know, like, man, I see, I see a sense of humility in this guy. I don't know his story. I start to get to know his story. I'm like, man, like, how do I encourage him and love him and build him up? And, and I just start with another piece. And then, and then Luis has, like, ideas, like, for me. And, and he starts to get to know me. And, and he asks me a hard question. And... I don't know what to do with that hard question of kind of being vulnerable and he's looking for a connect. And so for me, I could just bounce. And then all of a sudden, he's left with these pieces. And then the next time he goes and he meets Carrington. And now he's got, man, I don't know. I don't know if I'm gonna start with the middle piece. I think I might start with a smaller piece on the outside. And every single day, we're all carrying Lego pieces. And every person we meet, we have to decide, man, the deeper Jesus went, the deeper we go in the cross, am I going to just keep trying to preserve and protect myself or am I going to continue to lean into that cognitive dissonance and trusting to love and to serve and to forgive and to confess and to pray and to encourage and to build up and risk being hurt again? Because it sucks being hurt. And I, I, I know that. And every, every part of me, I find myself going, man, but you know what's amazing is, is what, what that one phrase did, what that one phrase did is it brought me right back to all of these pieces I'm holding in my pocket. And for a long time, I haven't been willing to give them away. And we call this life. We call this generosity. The generosity is like, man, I'm going to put myself out there. And I'm going to allow myself to get hurt. And even when I get hurt, you know what's amazing? You know who really got hurt? Jesus. And it's in that moment, in the hurt, that you go, how did you stay silent? How did you still say, there's a place for you in my Father's kingdom? How did you still say, Forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. Because I want to be right. And I want to win. 
and I want to be individualistic and I want to study so I know everything to fight everyone's arguments and I want to just escape and I want to unhealthy escapes and I want to challenge and I want to just fly away or freeze or fight or fawn. I want to do all of... And yet all of the invitation is can you hold on to the cross because in that you will find life. That's your choice. That's your choice. So here's my question. How many pieces do you have that you're just holding on to? And if they do it right, and if they prove, then I'll actually play. But if they don't do it right, I won't. And just ask yourself, is that the gospel? Because Jesus looked down and was like, oh man, they are not doing it right. Here I am. And I believe in a church that can do that. Luis, thank you so much, man. I'm glad we're friends. <laughs> I end with this. I end with this. Last thing, last thing. And some of you know this, but I just, this is, I have to look at this picture every time when I think of the one anothering. It's this picture. You ever seen the redwoods see how they grow in a circle? I was in Santa Cruz. I got up super early, went for a run, and I just laid looking at them. And I was there super early. I think I might have snuck in too early. And this, this like state natural park guy saw me. I think he thought, like, what is this guy doing? And he's like, uh, are you okay, sir? And I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, got, I'm always, I always think I'm in trouble. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I just look, this is amazing. And he's like, you know why this is, right? I'm like, why what is? Why the trees go in a circle? And I'm like, oh, I, I'm just speaking this dude's love language. I, he, he's always wished his wife asked him why the trees grow in a circle. And I'm here at 5.45 a.m. And he's like, because one tree fell because they're so connected together. All of a sudden, the tree that fell drops its seeds, but the tree, other trees are sending its nutrients and the roots are still giving life to other trees. And so then all of a sudden, these trees start growing in a circle. And he's like, isn't that amazing? And I'm like, this is amazing. He goes, what does it make you think? I'm like, it's the gospel. He's like, what do you mean? Because on Good Friday, we thought the thing was done and heaven was just getting started. And I just said, the idea is when you flip through the New Testament, when you flip through the New Testament, all you see is an entire group of people saying, this is who we are. We are in Christ. One tree that looked like it was dead, but it was just getting started. And that power that goes out to every one of us so that we can one another, one another. And then the guy, no joke, says this to me. <sighs> wow. I was like, what does that make you think? And he goes, do you know what scientists call I was like, no. He's like, it all makes sense now. They call this a cathedral. And I was like, oh man, give you the mic, bro. Let you preach. And they, they call this a cathedral? He goes, yeah, because it's holy ground. It's holy ground. Man, can you just imagine if a bunch of people walked into this place and they were like, wow. Right and left, a bunch of people who are far from perfect 
bunch of people who are wildly different in age and race and socioeconomics. Man, they are the best on the planet and one another and one another. I think people would walk in and go, man, this pushes me. But man, this is a cathedral, a cathedral to experience the presence of God. So God, we come before you and we just say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'm praying that every one of us would take one little risk this week. On one of those one another's, maybe it's to confess, maybe it's to serve, maybe it's to love, maybe it's to forgive, maybe it's to encourage, maybe it's to build up, maybe it's to pray, maybe it's to bear with one another. Whatever it is, may we not be a church that holds our Lego pieces, but may we paint outside the lines trusting you that you taught us how to love, that in you we can do all things. We pray all this in your name and everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Much love, everyone. See you next week for the one-year anniversary. Grace and peace.